Um, can I get a controversial thing out of the road before we even start the sermon? Because it's hard to ignore this bit. When you look, we're looking at Esther, and I've been asked to speak specifically on this part where Queen Vashti is given a royal command by King Ahasuerus, and she says no. So this morning we've called, I've just called this, Vashti says no. But in the middle of everything that this rise, raises up to the surface, there's a couple of things. The first thing I want to say, was maybe not quite so controversial, but King Ahasuerus, he was an idiot. <laughs> but the controversial bit is that men and women are different. Why is that controversial? Well, political correctness, do you know, I actually was looking something, I, I wasn't looking for this, I was just looking for a Bible verse, I knew where it was, I knew what it was, and it just slipped my, I just, you know, I just couldn't get my hooks out and find out exactly where it was. Um, so I, I, I put up, uh, the, into Google, um, that there's no male, no female, looking for a specific Bible verse. And what I got was a whole list of stuff on gender. And according to this place, do you know that according to some of the PC garbage around, there's 28 different genders. Okay. To be honest, there are men and there are women. You... And God's made us as men and women for a purpose. It's not sort of anything weird or strange. But, you know, we are so, so very different. The, the biggest difference, I think, is the muscular and skeletal structure of a man is bigger and stronger than that of a woman. Now, I say that understanding that there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. Now, when, when the world, world Rugby League World Cup was on and I was watching Australia play New Zealand in the, women, in the final of the Women's World Cup and there is no way in the world I was going to go running out of that field and saying, come on, girls, tackle me. They, they, um, they, they hit like trucks. I don't know how they didn't break the other girls in half. But the thing is, there is a basic difference because there's this difference in the shape of our bodies. You, oh, I better take that off. Men aren't supposed to wear hats in church, are they? Um, I completely forgot it was on. Um, but, you know, it, it's more than that. Our psyches are different. Our, the way we think is different. And, you know, there's something one day when I was reading some stuff and I go, my goodness, I did not know it. But do you know that the eye of a man is different in structure from the eye of a woman? Basically, they're the same, but it's a bit like a camera where you fiddle around with the aperture to, to change your field of depth. And the best way they put it was if a woman goes to the fridge, she'll open the fridge and she sees everything. Yeah, she, 
Whereas a bloke will go to the fridge and they actually did tests where they put things on your face to work out where you were looking. And the man's eyes were going onto each individual item in the fridge. Whereas the woman was seeing the whole thing. So for that reason, they come up with this thing saying, if, if you've got two people driving a car, put the woman on during the day and the man on at night because the man's eyes will focus straight down the road in that pool of light. Whereas the woman during the day can see the whole field of vision. We are different from each other. Now, the less controversial bit is, does difference mean inequality? God's answer to that is that men and women were made different for a purpose and it actually takes the man and the woman to make one complete person. And in God's eyes, we are all equal. I want to make that point quite clear because at some stage I'm going to say something that's going to have any feminist jumping up and down. Now, yes. If we go and open our Bibles to the book of Esther, and we're still in chapter 1, and I'm just going to read portions of the rest of chapter 1. So far, Jacob has done up to verse 9. And in verse 10, it says, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Listhar, Habanar, Bigthar, Abigathar, Thar, Zethar, and Carcass. What a name. C-A-R-C-A-S, Carcass. Um, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Asuras the king to bring Vashti, the queen, before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen... Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner towards all that that knew law and judgment. And the next under him was Karshinah, Shetha, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Messina, and Memucan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat uh, at the king, sat first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king. The rest of it I'm just going to leave for the moment. We might wonder why on earth it was an unreasonable request to ask Vashti to come and sort of stand before the drunk men. But whereas the words in English don't actually say it, the meaning of that was that the king had asked his wife, Queen Vashti, to come wearing the crown and nothing else. 
He was basically asking her to parade in front of the drunks of the kingdom without clothes and displaying her body. And she said no. What he was trying to do was trying to say to all the blokes around, look what I've got. Bet yours isn't as good looking as mine. He was showing off, but he was doing it in a way that was shameful to her. In verse 12, when we look at who Vashti was, she lived under the rule of an autocratic king who happened to be her husband. Under his law, he had the right to demand anything he wanted. However, there are times when it is right to say no. We live in a world where we are constantly being asked to do things. And there are times when we have not only a right but we have a responsibility to God's word to say no. There's a line in the sand. I will not step over that. We need to know what God requires of us and to behave with honour towards God's law in spite of running foul of antichrist directives in this world. There is so much happening around the world at the moment that is anti-God, it's anti-Christ. And the only way we're ever going to understand and know what those things are is if we make sure that we are grounded in God's word. That is imperative for us. Verse 13, the bit that I started off there and I didn't go right through with it, but the princes, they began to plot against Vashti and they gave King Asuras their take, which was you've got to turf out the queen because if you don't, it's going to go round the kingdom and all the other women are going to hear that when you commanded her to come, she didn't, and our wives are not going to honour us as your wife has not honoured you. They were scared. They were scared. They feared losing control, but they were also forcing women into a place where they were more slaves than they were companions, equals. That is the way of the world. And sadly, over the years, there's been a particular couple of passages in the Bible that have been half-preached. Passages in the Bible that have been misinterpreted. And one of those is Paul's writing in Ephesians 5. Pardon me for taking a bit of time because I've marked all my scriptures except for this one. Um, 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 21 to 28. Now, I'm actually going to read 21 because in, my, in, in the scripture I'm using here, there's a full stop. You've got to remember, in the original Greek language, there was no punctuation. So where we put a full stop in English, it's the translator has gone, I think that's the end of a sentence. But, so I've got two different paragraphs, but to me, we need to have the end of the last paragraph to lead into this because it starts off in verse 21 it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God now who is who is to submit to who it just says one to another it means that if I'm dealing with my brother here that it's a case, it's a mutual submission one to another. It was, I'm trying to look after his best interest. That's all that means. That doesn't mean lie down on the floor and let someone walk all over you. And then it goes on, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, for years and years and years, that's where that passage generally stopped. People stopped there, and it was a case of women, do as you're told, and behave yourselves. Now, that might sound like a very nice thing if you're the big bloke and you just want to be in charge. However, that is not the end of that passage. Now, part of what I said before about men and women being different, God has different purposes for us and he has given us an order. And by order, I'm talking about hierarchy, not order as in you go and do this. There has given us a hierarchy. It says, children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, Submit to Christ as Christ submits to the Father. And I, I want to put it out here for any guy who wants to take that as I've got carte blanche to do whatever I like to, with, about, for my wife, is that Christ has given us a responsibility and he has given our wives a responsibility. And it's together that we then protect our children. But what is the husband's deal here? Because if you don't stop there and you go on and you suddenly realise, blokes, you have got the raw prawn here. You have got, I think they used to call it the rough end of the pineapple or something. The, we, 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 get the, we get the hard bit. Because it says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word of God, that he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What does that mean? Well, what did Christ do for the church? 
Christ went to the cross and he died for his bride. Guys, if we are going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then it is on us to be prepared to lay down our lives. That is not, oh, you've got a submitted wife, if you, you just go and do whatever you like. That is, it is your responsibility to do what is best for your family. And if that means dying, so be it. That is a hard road to hope or row to hope. That is not an easy thing to do. You know, I think about some of the things we've seen in recent years. When they finally caught up with Osama bin Laden, you know, this was the guy who turned around and his thing was the women have to be covered from head to toes as he, you know, and even, even a fly screen over their eyes says you can't even see their eyes. They were so under the thumb. They're not allowed to study. They're not allowed to be taught anything. They're not allowed to drive a car. These women are trodden down. You know what he did when they cornered him? He stood his four wives in front of him like a human shield. If you want me, you've got to go through the women first. That is the exact opposite of what Christ demands of us as men. He demands of us that we will be loving and caring to the point where we will lay it all out. That's not an easy thing to do. When it says that the whole body is to submit one to another, submit does not mean doormat, but it's just recognition of a godly hierarchy. We are all subject to Christ. I actually was preaching on this subject in a little church somewhere else in country New South Wales and I actually focused, the whole sermon was about a man's responsibility to his family and uh, I mentioned during it that you know, traditionally it's been just focused on wives submit and as I walked out that this grumpy bloke walks up to him and says, I like the old way better. And I'm just going, did you hear a single word I said? See, it's not about... It's not about superiority. Different. Physically, I am stronger than my wife. I can come up here and give an arm wrestle if you don't believe me. However, that does not make me better than my wife. Physically, I am taller than my wife. That does not make me superior to her. Both of us are good cooks. A point which is sadly all too apparently obvious. You know, that, you know, whether you're a better cook, it just means you're a better cook. It doesn't mean you're a better person. There's all of these things that happen.
when we enter into the kingdom, guys, this is another one that you've got to get your head around. When we enter into the kingdom of God, we are all the bride of Christ. And it's not I am the bride of Christ or Anne is the bride of Christ. You're not the bride of Christ. It's together as a group, but it's not just this church. It is the whole body and we are the bride of Christ. And the bit that I was actually looking for, if you were to look up Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, it says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that is talking about the kingdom of God. We are. So when we lose the battle to stay alive and we go to be with God, we're not going to be a man or a woman we are going to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm not too sure that I'd really look forward to losing my identity. I don't mind being a bloke. However, the reality is, is that up in that situation, we are part of a conglomerate. We're part of a whole body. In Luke chapter 20, Again, he's talking about the resurrection. But just read from verse 33, which I didn't give Penny. It says, Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For the seven had had her. They, they were trying to fool Jesus and they come up and they said, A man died. Now, under Hebrew, uh, Hebrew law, if a man died and he didn't have any kids, then the wife would then become the wife of the, second, the next brother down. He would then raise up children in his brother's name and to go down. And so in this poor family, the seven brothers, the woman married the oldest one, he died without having kids and she went right through all seven and she'd been married to all seven, one after the other, and nobody had any kids and nobody, they all dead. And they're saying, whose wife is she? And this and got Christ's answer was, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So when we look at that, our relationships here on earth are ones that are set because they serve a purpose. That purpose is family. And as we raise kids within that family situation, we end up with kids that should be raised in a place of love, where they have a structure about them that keeps them safe. I just want to make a slight, a small personal testimony here. When Anne and myself were pastoring the little church down in Calcan, 
there was a family in that church that was, um, what's the right word, dear? Dysfunctional. They had four children, two older girls, a boy and a, a little girl. She was nine years old at the time. The two older girls had already gone off the rails because of the dysfunction in their family and the, the lack of leadership from the father. Through no fault of mine, this little girl recognised that she needed a father figure that would give her guidance and support her and... Um, she latched onto me and made basically made I became her surrogate dad. Her father was there. She didn't need a surrogate mum, so it was Anne was Anne was she loved Anne absolutely loved Anne, but she just looked up to me as, as a dad, and she still does. And he ended up with her two older sisters both being um, completely and utterly off the charts crazy. And yet this kid has had just, she's just been a brilliant kid, a lovely, lovely girl. She's grown up, she's married, she's a mother of two lovely little boys. And, you know, her life is solid. She's in church on Sunday mornings. She's in their leadership team. She's in, in their worship teams. And the only difference between her and her sisters was that she had a male figure that she could look to to respect to honour and who built into her life in a manner that lifted her up and supported her. Guys, if we are going to do our job properly, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with our wives, our sisters, our daughters and say no to abuse and exploitation of any sort. That is something that is so imperative. Vashti lost her place of privilege because she refused an unreasonable order from an unreasonable husband and king. And for that, she is remembered in God's word. When we look at Vashti, she said no. There are times when we just have to say, no more, not enough, no more. Amen? I haven't got much more to say than that without getting too weird. <laughs> and I hope I haven't offended anybody, I really do. Um, if I hand back to you, it's nearly 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Well, let's get the music team back up here. <laughs>